CNN. 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 Radio. This is CNN Profiles, where we get to know people who have the experience and insights to impact how we see the world. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. I cannot see the face of today's guest right now. He is in a hotel room on the West Coast. But I'll bet you he's not smiling, because when I looked up baseball manager Tony La Russa, one of the greatest of all time, on YouTube, I couldn't find a picture of the man smiling. Tony, are you smiling now? Well, you're making me smile. It's, uh, I've been accused, even by my family, of never smiling, but it's during the game, and since I don't have a crystal ball, I don't know if we're going to win, and you're always concerned about uh, what's ahead, but uh, I think after game seven, when that last out, I had a big smile. Let me ask you, I was, I was watching a documentary uh, called Boys in the Hall. Faye Vincent, former baseball commissioner, was interviewing the late great pitcher Warren Spahn and asked him, who taught you how to pitch? And Spahn's answer was, batters taught me how to pitch. <laughs> who taught you how to manage? There's no school for it. You know, in my case, I played poorly for a lot of years, and then I came into managing, had an opportunity to come to the big leagues quickly. My experience, both as a player and a manager, were not good enough. So I had to rely on teaching from mentors. And that's when you really start to appreciate just how terrific the game is and how deep it is. I mean, even you break down the attempt to steal second base. I mean, there's Eight or nine elements on the offensive side and eight or nine on the defensive side. It's, it's, it's fun stuff. Break that down for us because you know, some of us are going to be watching the playoffs are coming up, the World Series, and we're going to see a stolen base, and it's going to flash before our eyes. And you just told me eight or nine elements on the offensive side, eight or nine on the defensive. Give us the inside feel for what it is to steal a base. Well, there, there's a real-life example in uh, one last strike we talk about the second game of the World Series against the uh, Rangers. We had a one-nothing one lead in the ninth, and their leadoff hitter, Ian Kinsler, got on. The, the concern about whether he could steal, whether we should prevent it, was he going to try, became a key part of how they scored two runs, and, uh, and I took responsibility for not defending the steal because I was worried about our pitcher throwing strikes. So, Ian, if I had chosen to defend the steal, I mean, you bring into it who your pitcher is, how quick his move is, what's his delivery time to the plate, how well your catcher throws. You look at the, the, the base runner and you look at, you know, what his speed is. And then you have three or four different signs that you put on on the defensive side from the bench to the catcher to the pitcher about throwing over, stepping off. On the other side, their timing the, the pitcher to see what his times are. They, they look to see if he has a good move. If, he, if he's slow to first base, they take another couple of steps. They know what the catcher's like. And then you play the scoreboard. You know, the scoreboard many times will dictate whether it's a smart play to send the runner and risk the out or whether it's, uh, it's not, you know, and you shut him down. I mean, that's, that's some of the elements. So that's just one kind of play uh, during a period that many of us fans – view as, oh, this is the boring part of baseball. We're <laughs> waiting for the next play. And yet what you're telling me is <laughs> that's some of the most exciting stuff that's going on, the stuff between the plays. Is that right? Exactly, Michael. And that, that's what uh, I'm encouraged and, and, and pleased about. 
I also was part of a book with Buzz Bissinger. He wrote it. I just we just talked called Three Nights in August. And I think the more information the fans know that hey, what's the times? How well is the catcher throw? What's the scoreboard say? I think it adds to the the suspense of drama of these competitions between catcher, pitcher, base runner. And my favorite thing, by the way, you know, years ago, George Will uh, had a comment with, which I thought really resonated. He, he said, for people to think that baseball is boring and slow, once they learn all the information that's being processed in the 15 to 20 seconds between pitches, they would change their mind. And, and all that information that's being processed of all the players on the field, I mean, do each does each player have to have the same ability to process information, or is it just a couple of key players who really have to be able to absorb the most variables? What a great question, Michael. That is a great question because that answer belongs to the defensive players that excel. Their concentration level on every pitch includes a whole bunch of these variables, whether you're an outfielder or an infielder. You know, you're processing the count, the type of hitter, what the score is, the type of pitcher you have. They're doing all that. The reason it's such a great question is it takes not just talent but wonderful concentration and understanding to, to make some extra plays. And the truth is there are other, play, other players that go out there that are more offensive-oriented and don't give you that same level of concentration, no matter how much the coach or the manager might stress defense first, stop them from scoring. That is why you see so many benches now involved with positioning players because their guys are out there. They're either not really paying that kind of attention, don't really care enough, or don't know enough. So the bench moves them, but there are certain players out there. Like we, you know, we had uh, Jim Edmonds in center field for years with the, with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, Dave Henderson with Oakland. These guys were artists. Uh, you could see them moving on the counter pitch. They were really paying attention to every, every pitch, and they knew the situation. It's, it's, defense is beautiful to play, but let me ask, I, I mentioned this one other thing. A hitter who hits 300, one of the things that separates the 300 hitter from the under 300 hitter is he will rarely throw an at-bat away. In other words, he's really maxing on his concentration and his effort, 600 at-bats a season to the best of his ability. And if he does that, he does really well. Well, the great defensive player has to pay attention anywhere from 130 to 200 pitches every pitch, every game, to be outstanding. And it's actually more difficult to be a great defensive player than be a great hitter. This is CNN Profiles, and we're speaking with one of the greatest managers in baseball history, Tony La Russa. In his new book, One Last Strike, he writes, our goal was to create an environment where the ball player looked forward to coming to work and knew that a bunch of people were trying to put him and his teammates in the best position to succeed. The Psychology of Baseball from Tony La Russa. You know, th- this really is applicable to every single business, you know, especially journalism, which is a real fast-moving business. And uh, you had mentioned a book earlier, Buzz Bissinger. I-, I-, I did take the liberty to read some of that. And he talks about the importance of managing the space between a player's ears. <laughs> so, oh, I got a second laugh out of you. So I know you're, <laughs> you're a smiler, man. You've just been keeping it under wraps. <laughs> Well, it's not a game today that, that we might, ah, might lose, see, so. Well, there you go. <laughs> let, let me ask you, by the way, just not, not to change the subject too fast, but you're retired right now. Are you smiling more, or is it frustrating not to be in the game? 
well, I'm fortunate because Commissioner Selig has given me a role. You know, I'm, I can uh, report to him for special assignments. So I go out and see games. I've seen them all summer long, and I'll go to the postseason here and watch some games. So I have some responsibilities, but, you know, it's a neutral responsibility. And that's, you know, you take all that that's 50 years that I had of waking up in the morning and there's a game there, that tension about can we win, can we lo- are we going to lose, can I contribute whether as a player or as a, on a coaching staff, that is, that's totally different. In, in fact, on this book tour that I'm doing, a number of people have mentioned, boy, you sure look more relaxed. And, you know, the answer is you know, there isn't a game that I'm worried about and, and, and that, that's a different stress level. Well, and that, that, that brings me to another great phrase from Bissinger's book. He had two phrases. La Russa wears tension like a catcher wears a face mask. And the second one is tension emanates from his face like a lighthouse beacon in the fog, <laughs> visible from miles away. So here's the question. You are the third most winning, most winning manager in the history of baseball. What percentage of wins, how many games did you win and how many did you lose? Uh, well, was, I think the winning percentage, I don't, you know, I'm not – probably 530, 540, something like that. I mean, you know, I had 2,700 wins, but you know, 2,200 losses, you know, 2,300 losses. I know it was managed over 5,000 games, so it was probably – you know, it's a lot of losses. And, and, and the reality is every coach will tell you, you suffer the losses more than you enjoy the wins. So even though it, it's, it's a decent-looking record, you know, there's a lot of heartache – uh, at times associated with those games that got away. Well, and, and that, that gets me to a point of, you know, baseball, you know, even your Hall of Fame hitters don't hit more than one out of every three balls, right? I uh, mean, base, baseball in so many ways is a game where you have to accept failure, which means you must be some resilient guy. I believe, and we try to coach this, Michael, that, and, and you brought the best example, the, the great hitters, are making seven outs and ten at bats, and if failure and adversity beat you, then you got no chance. The point we try to teach to be productive in the major leagues: physical and mental toughness is as or more important than your physical talent, because you get challenged so many times in so many ways, and if you're not tough enough to deal with those challenges, like failure, then you're you're not going to make it. And uh, the point that we teach is that any of us are capable. The, the key that we try to teach is make it important. I mean, you see us all the time in real life. If something is really important to you, I mean legitimately important to you, then you unleash tremendous assets within yourself, you know, fortitude and desire and discipline, all that stuff. So uh, that's part of our, our coaching. You need to be tough. Our club last year, that's one of the strong points that comes through from the book. You know, the fact that we hung in there with a lot of adversity, injuries, and some tough losses. And then we, we showed the, uh, the toughness to battle back in September. And then, heck, we won as underdogs. You know, we, we beat Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and, and Texas. We were the underdog all three times. You were, for, for the non-baseball fans, you were 10 and a half games back with how many games left in the season last year? 32. 32. And so when you got to that stage, were you confident that you could – go all the way well not really at that point you know we had had a really comp- a competitive season with a as I mentioned a ton of tough hits like adver- you know a lot of adversity we hung in there but then Milwaukee went nuts and really separated themselves from us 
And we got a little discouraged for a few days, and then we just kind of resurrected that, wait a minute, you know, we, we take care of our business, and our business is intensity and urgency. Uh, and that's when we were 10 and a half back, and we were just going to play the next series and just try to get it back and not be discouraged and, and see what happened. And sure enough, we won three straight series, and by the time we uh, the Braves came into town, we had gone from 10 and a half to 7 and a half, and the real key became we, we won three from the Braves, and when they left, it was four and a half. Now we were really, really into it. This is CNN Profiles. On the eve of the Major League playoffs, we're speaking with Tony La Russa, the third winningest manager in baseball history, who told us earlier the reason we rarely saw him smile during his career was that he was always focused on making sure he didn't lose that next game. And yet even La Russa lost nearly half the games he managed. That takes a certain ability that we all need in life, the ability to bounce back. As a 19, 20, 21-year-old guy who's just starting out, coming in, can you size up that person and say, this guy's got resilience, and even if he doesn't, at that stage of the game, can you teach it? There's no doubt in my mind that if you write somebody off as not being tough enough or not resilient enough, you're making a big mistake. It's just like... Some people will say this guy is intuitive. You know, he runs the bases intuitively. He does. That's not true. Uh, if you do something enough, you can practice and you can improve your, your instincts about running the bases, for example. But the point about resiliency at 19 or 20, I mean, I've, I'm a good case. I never felt like I was a particularly courageous guy. You know, I didn't like fights. I would, I'm a kind of a wuss in many ways. But if something was important to me, then all of a sudden I... You know, I had these characteristics of courage and tenacity and, and, and you know, refusal to give in. It's all in your mind. It's all about whether you're important. It's important to you. It's, all, it's within all of us. Who taught you that? What, what, what did your parents do, by the way? Uh, my mother was just a homemaker. I, I should, that's a bad way to say just. She was a homemaker, which is a wonderful thing. My dad was a really hard blue-collar laborer in the city of Tampa, uh, the job he had most of the time, he drove one of those big wholesale milk trucks, uh, got up at 2.30 in the morning, came back around 4.30, six days a week. Uh, and, you know, they did a lot of stuff for me. I mean, they, they um, made a lot of sacrifices, and they taught me a lot about responsibility. And the other thing that they, I, I really have never, well, the love of books, too, I keep saying that. You know, books are my best friend, but they also taught me the, the, uh, the value of dreaming, you know, Get out there and think about something that you want to do and then chase it. And, uh, and that's a wonderful quality to have. Some of the other things, like this toughness, I mean, I learned that. I signed when I was 17 years old. And, and over time, failing, and I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I don't know how much time we got, and I'll tell you very quickly, but uh, there are two, like, I don't know if seminal is the right word, two, as a player, I had two instances, one in 1966, another one in 1972. 66, I played in a, a playoff game in Class A at Modesto with the A's. And uh, I almost called in sick because my arm was, was hurt, and I was afraid I was going to lose a game for the team. And then I realized, you know, if I, if I call in sick when I'm not, you know, I'll never be able to face myself. Well, I, I, I went out there, and I, and I confronted the, the game, and unbelievable, I got three hits. actually hit a grand slam home run, and we won. From then on, I realized that, you know, never to be afraid, no matter how challenged you are, uh, you know, just try it. I mean, it, it literally happened for me. And then one other time I hit 300 one year where I refused to not hit 300 and I kept working at it and it showed you, you know, that's what I mean. The mind 
I learned it, and I, you know, I was coached that way, so it wasn't like I discovered this myself, but I, I had my own experiences to prove the point. You're talking to me out of a hotel room, right? Yes, sir. You spent a lot of your life in hotel rooms. Yes. And uh, you have how many children? Uh, two daughters. Two daughters, and uh, they're grown? Yes. In fact, one of them's getting married a week from the day. Congratulations. <laughs> I, have, I have three young children, uh, hopefully a, a ways from getting married, but uh, I wonder if you have transmitted specific lessons from your baseball career to your two daughters. Have you ever had conversations with them when they've been in rough spots and brought in baseball stories to illustrate the point? I think to some extent the answer is yes, because they've, you know, as soon as they, I mean, our first daughter, Bianca, was born in August, uh, September of 79. I had my chance to go to Chicago in August. So, you know, within a month, she was part of our family. And then Devin was born in 82. So as they got older, particularly by the time I went to Oakland, and ever since, they have seen the baseball scene. The good news is there, there are uh, points about how we were successful and when we struggled that they learn from, that uh, the real story about our daughters are, are terrific, belongs totally to my wife Elaine. I mean, for eight months from spring training to maybe if you play till Halloween, you're gone so much road trips, you're not in even town. If you have a home game, you're at the ballpark early, you stay late. Uh, it's a tremendous burden on the wife. Uh, Elaine has really carried the, uh, the teaching of attitudes and philosophies, I think to a certain extent because of the competition, the, you know, this dreaming quality that I have, and, and they know I'm tenacious about getting out there every day. And I mean, the book really talks about one thing I think it's important to point out and that I've tried to explain to them. Our style of leadership, I mean, the coaches and I, our style is, is totally about personalization and establishing a relationship with each player. Well, that's a very difficult way to coach because it's very time-consuming. But before you personalize your coaching style, you personalize to yourself. You know, you make yourself accountable and you make sure you pass your tests and then you preach it to others. Well, uh, I think our daughters understand that uh, the personalizing side, and I think that was a a legitimate point that they, they, they would have understood over the years. And I guess the final words, uh, which are your words from your last chapter, just because you're down to your last strike, you're not out yet. You can always do more. Well, you know, Michael, uh, right at the end of the book, I've always, I've always heard that as coaches. You know, you, there's always something you can do. And then one of the best moments of my life, uh, a, a friend, Dick Strong, introduced me to Lieutenant General Hal Moore, that wonderful general that led, that was part of We Were Soldiers, the book, and it was part of the movie. And I learned so much from him over the years, and he had a great saying that I ended the book with. His saying is, three strikes and you're not out. There's always something else you can do, and I think that's just such a great leadership principle. Three strikes and you're not out. Uh, you just put a smile on my face with that one. <laughs> that's the general's. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Tony LaRusso, for joining us on CNN Profiles. Thoroughly enjoyed it, Michael. Thank you. You can find CNN Profiles on CNN.com slash Soundwaves. We're also on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. And please, if you like us, share us. 